It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever, hurrah, boys, hurrah, down with the traitor. Welcome back to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only at KNews 98.5. I'm lawyer Stu Jenkins. This hour, we are going to listen to what I expect to be a thoughtful rebuttal of some of the points made by our last guest, Mr. Victor Gomez, who was the executive director of Californians Against Lawsuit Abuse. It is a privilege and an honor to introduce our listeners to a local lawyer who has long represented workers in employment suits and taken cases against abusive landlords who collected excessive rents from large apartment complexes kept in such dire conditions that they were perilous for their occupants' health. Please welcome to the show Mr. Alan Hutkin. Welcome, Alan. Thank you. You know, I've, I've known you for many years, and, uh, but I, I actually don't know how long you've been practicing law in San Luis Obispo County. Coming up on 34 years. My goodness. And uh, how long have you been practicing law altogether? Coming up on 34 years. So, you, you, so like me, you uh, went into law and went right into practicing in San Luis. Correct. Did, did you grow up here? No, I grew up in San Diego. Oh, well, that's where I went to law school. Okay. Which uh, I can understand why you wanted to get up here. <laughs> it reminded me what San Diego was like when I grew up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, in fact, San Diego was like uh, an overgrown uh, Pismo Beach in those days. Right. But uh, where is your office? My office is at 1220 Mars Street in San Luis Obispo. And do you have a uh, website? I do, www.hutkinlaw.com. Now, I know about some of your major cases, like um, in uh, 2015, uh, you were uh, part of the team that sur- sued uh, former Lieutenant Governor Maldonado's farm operations, uh, AgroJal. Yes, AgroHall. AgroHall, <laughs> yes. Sorry for the... Anglo pronunciation. That's fine. Yeah, our firm brings a lot of civil rights lawsuits representing workers who have not been paid correctly. And so it was interesting to hear Mr. Gomez's thoughts on various types of legal claims and so forth. And mm-hmm. I'm happy to address a number of the points that he raised. Well, I, I imagine uh, when you brought that lawsuit, it wasn't because uh, there were a few mistakes uh, being made uh, with vacation pay. What, what were the circumstances in that? case so typically and this is I, I actually want to talk about another case that we're still pursuing we filed it as a case back in 2011 against a nursery worker so for nursery workers mm-hmm. who were misclassified and were not paid for their breaks and were not paid for all the hours that they worked and the employment situation was so bad that these workers were told not to eat and drink at lunchtime because that would mean they would have to use the bathroom after lunch, which would mean they would leave the assembly line. Oh, my. When the owner would come into the business, they were not allowed to look at him in the face. They had to look at his shoes. And this guy lives or lives in what basically looks like Hearst Castle South. I mean, it's a magnificent house sitting on a golf course. And he has just taken advantage of these workers and... They were not paid properly, and if they actually had to go to the bathroom, people would go and start, the management would bang on the bathroom door, and the bathrooms were not cleaned so that people would not want to use them. 
So, and they were also not provided with water. They had to bring their own because, again, if you drank, that would mean you'd have to use the restroom. What was the hourly rate of pay for these people? The effective hourly rate was substantially below minimum wage. So, and that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, Mr. Gomez talked about all these frivolous lawsuits about pay stubs. 90% of these lawsuits are regarding people who aren't paid for all the hours that they work. They're not paid for their missed meal and rest breaks. They're not paid for their overtime. That's 90% of all the cases. And so in our society, workers are lose an estimated $15 billion in minimum wage violations alone every year, far more than re- retailers lose in shoplifting. In just three cities in Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles, workers lose an estimated $56.4 million per week to wage theft violations when employees fail, fa- employers fail to pay minimum wage over time or provide employees with legally required meal and rest breaks. And, and I, uh, I always go back to the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution on this kind of thing. And, and of course, uh, every, every city council person has read the California Constitution, I'm sure, because they take an oath to defend and protect it. Um, the uh, First Amendment says that Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom, and you can go right through, to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And, of course, the courts is where we usually petition government. That's the third branch of government. Um, But it's pretty hard to petition for a redress of a grievance if you are making below minimum wage and you need a lawyer, isn't it? That is very true. And so if you start with the premise that out of 100 people, only one of them is going to realize that they're not being paid properly and that this person is going to have the courage and the wherewithal to seek out a lawyer and that they're going to find a lawyer to represent them. And if their claim is small, then it economically may not make sense for a lawyer to represent them. So their claim goes unredressed and therefore... Well, they can't afford to pay the hourly rate of a lawyer. Uh, In this county, there's many lawyers who have an hourly rate that is $500 an hour. Mm-hmm. Some are less, some are a little more. Um, and, you know, they're not going to be able to privately fund this, so there's no way for them to uh, hire a lawyer unless there is a uh, mechanism for the court to decide if the employer, for in the case of an employment case, should be, if they lose, should be paying the fees. Correct. Now, um, in our last segment. Uh, Mr. Gomez was, uh, he seemed very knowledgeable about many things. Uh, He said that in the employment lawsuits, like you're talking about, that the attorneys would receive a a third uh, and the state of California would receive 50%. Um, I I wasn't sure that was accurate. It's not accurate. First of all, you have to break out the claims. Because if you're talking about the Private Attorney General Act, the state of California receives 75% of it, and the employee only receives 25% of it. But there's other claims that the attorney is representing the employee on, recovering the unpaid wages, recovering the unpaid overtime, unpaid overtime pay, compensation for not receiving all your wages when you left their employment. There's a number of claims on top of that. So that statistic that he cited is 100% inaccurate. And, and uh, 
When you say that there's other claims, uh, are these uh, other claims uh, monies that actually get paid to the employee? That's correct. And so um, when you say 75% goes to the uh, state government, uh, that's 75% of what? The 75% is of the penalties. The so penalties. Why the Private Attorney General Act, PAGA, is so important is it forces employers to have to pay penalties on top of damages. So that's the difference is you've got 75% of the penalties go to the state of California. And that money that is paid to the state of California is used to enforce other laws where the state pays for it. However, you know, I'm familiar with the Labor Workforce Development Agency, which is the force or the group that enforces or, or represents, handles PAGA for the state of California. How, how, if somebody has a, a need to call the... Uh, Labor Workforce Development Agency. Thank you. How, do, how would they do that? They would look it up, and then good luck, because they are so short on staff. And even though there's been, like, $88 million, they have, they're so overworked that they don't have time to hire employees. They're going gangbusters trying to enforce the, law, the laws that are on the book. But let's take a step back and talk about PAGA and why sure. it's mm-hmm. important. Because one of the things, you know, this legislation that, that, that he's talking about, really what should be t- titled is the Cheat the Worker Initiative. And the Cheat the Worker Initiative basically wants to shift, and, and this is the hypocrisy of their position, is if you ask these groups, they are against big government, right? They're saying, we don't want big government. Don't, you know, don't go with big government. But what they're saying is, we're going to raise money... We're going to raise taxes on employers and on citizens so that we can have big government, so that big government can enforce the labor laws. Well, how does that work? And why is that fair? Why should law-abiding businesses that are complying with the law have to pay more taxes? And why should citizens have to pay more taxes so we can have big government? Why not allow the the employers who are not complying with the law to pay for their misdeeds. And that is how the law is set up now, is that employers who are not complying with the law, they're the ones who have to pay. But what this Cheat the Worker initiative is asking is, let's raise taxes, let's make employers not be responsible for their own bad doing. We're going to shift the cost of this whole mechanism to California taxpayers so that they have to pay for the employers who aren't complying with the law. Now, I, I confess that I, uh, I did look at the initiative, but I haven't read the whole thing. And uh, does, it, uh, does it do anything to actually raise the taxes that would then pay for the public entity to actually enforce the employment uh, laws and the fair labor standards? It does not. Okay. Which means the legislature then would be seeking to raise taxes in some way. They would have, in, in order to actually make this Cheat the Worker initiative work, you would have to raise taxes to pay for it. Okay. I mean, right now, it's being done by private people, and businesses that comply with the law aren't having to pay extra. Citizens who comply with the law are not having to pay extra. But what they're pr- proposing is, we're going to shift the burden to everybody to pay for and hope that we don't get caught. Get caught. Folks, uh, this is Slow County Public Policy and the Law. We're having a uh, spirited conversation with attorney Alan Hutkin, who has handled uh, many, many employment labor uh, disputes. Uh, Make sure people get fair pay. So, um, Alan, you've had some other major cases, uh, 
2017, you brought a case against the Berry Man, Les Clark, and Oscar Camacho. And uh, the, there was $1.7 million that was paid to uh, 700 employees. That's correct. Um, because they hadn't been paid fairly. Uh, what, what kind of situation had been going on there? The um, allegation, or I mean, the, the complaint pled numerous claims against the Berryman, and primarily the biggest um, mistake that they was we, we were able to, we were pursuing was the failure to comply with the California meal and rest break claims. So again, the, it was uh, not just a minor issue where the, uh, uh, the pay stub didn't have all the information, was it? That's correct. Um, in, in fact, I've never actually pursued, and I've been practicing 34 years, a claim against an employer because that the pay stub did not have, that had misspelled somebody's name, or I don't know what some of the other things that Mr. Gomez said. Well, uh, and I'm not sure there'd be any uh, return on that for an employee, really. Correct. The, uh, uh, and in that case, uh, you had some costs that you had to put into it in order to prepare. You actually t- showed a court that you'd put in $65,000 in your own money to develop the evidence, didn't you? That's correct. And and that's what the court uh, awarded you. That's, that is correct. Now, they did award you uh, $799,000. Uh, was that out of the $1.7 million, or was that on top of it? That was out of it. Okay. So, but let's take a step back because yeah, I want to talk it. about that other case. Uh-huh. I have that other case I was talking about with the nursery. I've been pursuing it for 11 years. I have a mil- over a million dollars in costs mm-hmm. and attorney's fees in that case. And my clients and I have still never recovered di- any money. And so a lot of times people look and they say, oh, my goodness, you recovered so much money. But that's really not true because when you weigh it across companies or people who declare bankruptcy or do other things to shift their assets so that you can't recover, you're, or you potentially can lose some cases. I fortunately, knock on wood, have never lost any cases on employment cases. But, I mean, it is possible that that, that could happen. You know, it equals out and it balances out. Well, and it, it, if you have to work for 11 years to get a case to trial, and you have to put in a million dollars of your own money in order to do the depositions, uh, do the discovery, um, and your time, hire investigators. Right, and your time and your staff's yeah. time and, you yeah. know, all, all the overhead. I mean, so there is a huge, a lot of times people don't realize how expensive it is to run a law office and to prosecute these, prosecute these civil rights cases. This is, uh, folks, this is a continuing issue all over California, and it's not just in the employment and fair labor uh, uh, cases. It also has to do with uh, one of the most significant cases that I think you've handled uh, recently was the uh, Grandview Apartments case. And um, there there would be no government agency that could step in and do something uh, if there wasn't a private attorney uh, willing to go out on a limb and finance the uh, issue, you know, the gathering of evidence, the use of investigators, the gathering of uh, uh, declarations and uh, photos and whatever else you had to do. Right. Um, and, and so effectively, uh, when you take one of these large awards, like in the Berryman case, 
you're putting that money into uh, doing another public interest case that is going to uh, benefit hundreds of people. What what happened in that case? In the we well, you know, the, I think the total value of the settlement in that case was around over four point six million dollars. This this was the Grandview Apartments. This is Grandview Apartments, and I, I co-litigated that with several of the other attorneys, uh, Jude Basil, and with the San Luis San Luis Legal Aid Foundation. But I was the one who put up all the cost, <laughs> as you say. <laughs> and um, we represented. I think there was approximately three to four hundred people who lived who lived in horrible, horrible conditions. I mean, the mold on their walls were so thick, it looked like green shag carpeting on the walls. Wow. It was, you would walk into the units and it took your breath away. On the walls where there wasn't the mold were blood splatters where people had squished bed bugs who had been sucking on their blood at night while they had been sleeping. And Charming. It's just, it was incredible. So the bed bug situation, the mold situation, the raw sewage that would back up into either people's apartments or into the front area of the property was beyond disgusting, to put it mildly. I mean, it was off the charts. And the people, it was a really, it's a wonderful case in the sense that, you know, these were hard workers. These were people who were not able, who had tried before to get representation, but they had not been able to successfully find anybody to represent them and to hold the landlords accountable for what they were doing. And it was a classic situation where you had an unscrupulous landlord. And and I don't want to make that brush that with broad strokes because most owners and landlords and property management companies in our county are upstanding people who do the right thing. That's absolutely right. And, and uh, I know uh, practicing in real estate law and actually uh, managing some uh, apartments and other real estate for uh, our family business, you talk to most landlords, they're actually very conscientious. Correct. And, and I, my, my, our firm represents a number of property managers and a lot yeah. of landlords. And so I don't want to brush with broad strokes. And I typically don't cross over to the tenant side. But this one was just so awful, so horrible that I, I did. And, and I'm really glad I did because this group of clients had not been able to find representation before. They had sought representation. And we were able to hold this landlord accountable for, you know, taking advantage of these low-income workers who were the bread and butter of basically Paso Robles. I mean, they were working in a lot of the restaurants, a lot of the wineries, a lot of construction and service industries, and they were just being preyed on. And the owners were constantly removing support for maintenance because they were trying to I'm not sure what they were trying to do. I guess they were trying to get the highest price by showing that the, their costs were much less than their rent. Well, as I recall, in that particular case, after you got a settlement for the um, tenants, uh, you had to go in and make a motion to get private attorney general fees under uh, a, a more venerable statute than PAGA. And uh, the court gave you a pretty decent award after you showed them what your reasonable fees and costs were. They did. And you know it was it was a good result all around. I mean, a lot of the a lot of our clients are receiving substantial amount of money. I mean, in, in those cases, it's not where uh, you have this. You actually have to convince a court that the value of your services uh, justified an award. Correct. And um, I think a lot of people don't understand that about private attorney general fees. Um, having having brought some. You know, we call them a pro bono case because you're not getting paid. But in the end, you can go to a court if you've been able to establish an important public 
uh, benefit, you can go to a court and you can say, we've established an important public benefit. Here's all our hours. Here's what our value... The, our reasonable fees are, and here's the cost we put in, and a judge has to look at that and decide that that's true. Otherwise, you don't get paid. That's correct. So you have to bring what's called a motion for preliminary approval. Court has to decide that your fee claim is reasonable, and then they make a final approval claim on that. In that case, is that that case is probably one of my, my most complex cases that I've represented because you're not just dealing with the issues of compensation, but you're also assisting the tenants with who had medical bills, and some had medical bills that were related to the damages and injuries they suffered from the bed bugs and the asthma and other things that caused and stomach distress that were caused by living in these horrific conditions. So we had to deal with the lien claims from different medical providers and from Medi-Cal and so forth. And then you're dealing with minors and minors' compromises. So that's, it, was, it's, it is, I'm still actually working on that case even today. We still haven't, you know, it's been approved, but we're still, there's still elements that we're continuing to work on without any additional compensation. But I, I'd like to go back and focus a little bit on some of the other stuff that Mr. Gomez talked about. You know, one of the issues he talked about was um, exploitation by the trial lawyers. And, and we're going to be dealing with that uh, in the next segment okay. a lot. Uh, we're, we're not coming up on a break quite yet. Okay. But I, I want to talk to our listeners a little bit. We're, we're talking with uh, a fine attorney, Alan Hutkin. He's been in uh, San Luis Obispo County for 34 years practicing law. Uh, the history of this actually goes back to England, something called the writ of Key Tam which allowed a uh, private attorney to go take a case, like the one you did with the Grandview Apartments, and uh, represent people essentially on the cuff and then go to the court and ask for payment of attorney's fees out of the losing defendant. We're going to talk more about that right after this break. We're going to have some news. Stay tuned to Slow County Public Policy and the Law. <laughs> 